Father, you've made it possible for us to enter that throne room by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And so here we are. We have, we have access to you. You've, you've revealed the good news that we can be made right. And so today, Lord, we just, uh, just want to just pray that, that same access for our, our city, for people who don't know you, they would come to know you. Pray for workers around the world in, uh, in, in tough places where they are seeking to share this good news. Lord, may there be such an awakening that begins in us, that spreads through our city, spreads throughout this world in such a way that people's, people's ears are awakened, they're, 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 the eyes of minds are opened, and they get to, to just enjoy the good, sweet aroma of being in your presence. It's a gift that we're experiencing today. Now may the kingdom of God expand. Touch our hearts, say things to us, Lord. Speak, speak the whispers we're longing to hear this morning. Some folks here this morning are hurting. It's been a rough week. Some are, some are, are struggling relationally. And they're, they're, they're dying, Lord, for, for something from you today. Would you, would you just provide that fresh baked bread from heaven and nourish our souls and however we need it? We pray this with expectancy in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you've got your Bibles, go to Mark 14. That's where we're going to be at today, Mark 14. You'll find it on page 1,601. Uh, if, you're, if you don't have a Bible, there's one that looks like this. It's in the pew rack in front of you, uh, page 1,601. Kind of bottom right-hand side, you'll see a big number 14. Um, and that's, that's the text we're going to be looking at today. <clears throat> hey, um, when you see this, uh, when you're exposed to this, it makes you feel uneasy. Uh, when you have to witness it, it makes you uncomfortable. You might even use words like, this is really awkward. And, and what I'm talking about is public displays of affection. Uh, this, this last week, I was with my son, uh, Chase, who's visiting from out of town. We were driving down Lancaster. He's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. We come to a red light. We're right there at the, at the front of the, of the queue. Next to us is a bus stop, and there's a young couple that is, it's, you can tell they are in love. They are in a permanent embrace. Uh, and, uh, and it, it, you know, it, it's, it's sweet, and it's nice to see young love, but, I mean, this is like a permanent embrace, uh, and, uh, and the light is long, and father and son in the car are feeling a little bit awkward as this whole thing is happening here, and, and uh, even phone calls, the, the, the young woman got a phone call, and so she's answering the phone, talking on the phone, but she's still in a hug, she, they're still hugging, um, and it just sort of makes you feel a little bit, you know, awkward or, or uh, uneasy. And, um, and it isn't just, you know, the, the physical touch part. You ever been in a grocery store, like you're in a grocery store line, and someone's on their phone talking to a significant other, and they're using these pet, like, uh, names that are really syrupy, and they're like, you know, just like all goo-goo and all that all over each other, like, oh, you're my buttercup, you're my honey bunny, oh, my pumpkin pie, and we're like... We're in line. We're all having to listen to this, folks. It's like, it just makes you feel a little bit uneasy. Or if you've been at a restaurant and you've watched couples feed each other. Ever seen this? It's like, oh, num, 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 num. They're putting food in each other's mouths and, uh, oh, I want some of that. And so the other person, oh, you know, fork it. Oh, here you go. And it's like, wow. And, you know, thoughts come to your mind like, get a room. And uh, it's just, just, this is awkward. Help us out here, folks. Um, and, uh, and, and it's, you know, the feeding stuff goes on and, and, and then there's the couples that, that they fight in public 
And you see a lot of emotions. He's like, wow. Uh, and, and then they make up in public. And, and that makes you feel awkward because it, it's not that they, they kiss and make up, but they kiss aggressively in make up. And just me saying that makes you feel uneasy. It, it's just... It's just really hard. It just it makes you feel uncomfortable. When my kids were younger and they were in the home, um, uh, you know, if, if their boyfriend or girlfriend came over and they were sitting a little too close on the couch, I would, uh, you know, in a real subtle way, I would just kind of sit between them and move them apart. <laughs> um, and, or say something like, you know, hey, leave room for Jesus here because you're making this. I mean, pace yourself. Holy smokes. You know, and, and just because public displays of affection have this way of, it's just like, we do have the thoughts like, get a room. We do have the thoughts like, Rick, really? Uh, and, and then when public, in fact, when public displays of affection start becoming, and you know what, translate it into church, call it spiritual PDA if you want to. When you go to church and people publicly, they, they start expressing their affection uh, for God, that can sometimes make you feel uneasy. I mean, let me just put it this way. I grew up in a very reserved church culture. I'll just put it that way. I mean, we sang our hearts out when we had the hymn books and whatever song you were singing. We sang our hearts out. But, you know, you stood when you were told to stand. And you sat when you were told to sit. And, you know, we didn't raise hands or anything like that because that's just... In fact, I never saw anyone raise hands in worship until I came to the States. I grew up overseas and I came to the States. I was in a church service... And uh, someone was raising their hands during worship. And honestly, when I saw them raise their hand, I literally thought, what an awful time to ask a question. Because <laughs> I'd, never, I'd never seen this before. And then, then you know, someone explained to me, oh, the, the, no, they're worshiping, that's how they worship. I was like, man, it's just, I kind of see. Tr- truth be told, I, I literally began to think, man, how arrogant. I mean, I, I was really uneasy or uncomfortable. Because that's like really looking at me, everybody. Um, and, and, and it just made us feel uncomfortable. In fact, some of you grew up in reserved church cultures. How many of you grew up in a, in a church where you weren't supposed to raise your hand? Raise your hand. Ah, I just messed with you. See, you did it. You did it. And something in you was like, oh, I got to read. That's the question. That in itself is a struggle for some of us. I was talking to a pastor one time in his church. He was preaching. Actually, he was during worship. And this guy just was prompted. doesn't know what prompted it, but he started getting up. And in worship, he was doing laps. He was running as people were singing. And the pastor's like, okay, Lord, I know you move in mysterious and strange ways, but this one's really high on the strange meter. What do I do? If this is from you, then so be it. If it's not from you, would you please put a stop to it? The guy's on lap three, and he's coming around, and he's going to make the turn over here. And he doesn't quite make the turn well, and he goes into the wall, drops, knocks out. <laughs> Everyone in church is silently clapping in their heart. Yay. <laughs> because it makes us feel uncomfortable, right? It just makes us feel uncomfortable. Public displays of affection, if it's between two people that love each other, um, that, that can, that can, if it's over the top, I mean, I'm all for affection, but if it's over the top, seriously, one time in a church service, I had to talk to a couple after church, I know you're getting married this summer, but let's wait till the summer, okay? <laughs> because it just makes everyone feel awkward. And in church we're worshiping, depending on what your church background is, maybe you, maybe you, this is like your second weekend at church. And this is, this will be like a family of origin for you in how you draw near to God. And, and a lot of people have different styles and different comfort zones. But when we go public with affection to Jesus, it can make us feel uneasy. And we are in a text, Mark 14, which is a classic 
spiritual PDA text. It's a classic text in our series in Mark called Live It, and where someone, in Mark's account, it's an unnamed woman. In John's account, in Matthew's account, we know it's Mary. John chapter 12 tells a story. Matthew chapter 26 tells a story. And it's, it's, a, it's a dinner. It's a dinner party. Uh, it's given by Simon the leper. He was a leper. He'd been healed by Jesus of his leprosy. And uh, there's this honor, uh, this dinner that's given in the honor of Jesus. And a woman, Mary, just gives this extravagant. She goes public with her affection for Jesus. And it makes people in the room really Uncomfortable. I want to talk about uh, what, what happened there in that text and talk about what that could mean for us uh, here as we gather uh, each and every weekend. So if you've got your Bibles, Mark 14, I'm going to read the, this story. I want to invite you to stand as I do that. We don't do that every time, but uh, you know we have a treasure in God's word, and, and so uh, I, I just want us to, just to realize that. So let's stand as we, I read the word, you follow along. Mark 14, verse 1. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted and when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money, so he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. This is God's holy word, and you can be seated. As Mark is telling this story, he employs a classic literary style. It's sort of called the sandwich principle. This whole story is sandwiched by these two, uh, this was one sort of beginning prologue and this epilogue. The, the, the beginning, or called one slice of the bread, is the religious leaders of the day, and they are scheming about how to murder Jesus. But they want to do it kind of in secret because they know the crowds will riot if it happens. And so they're, they're looking for an opportunity. Call them seekers, if you will. They're seeking to kill Jesus. That's one side of the sandwich. The other side of the sandwich is that last part I read, and we're talking about Judas. Judas, whatever happened here, as, as we'll talk about it, in, in the home, what happened there was like the last straw for Judas. He, he left that dinner party and began going to the religious leaders, and he actually, he's going to provide them the opportunity to... to to arrest Jesus so it doesn't have to happen in public so a big scene isn't caused. 
That's the two ends of the sandwich. You get the powerful people inside. Judas who has influence and he has the way to know where Jesus is going to be. And you got the religious leaders who have the power to arrest Jesus. In the middle of the sandwich, so to speak, is the powerless. You've got a guy who was healed of leprosy. Leprosy would have been the disease, a perceived disease of God's judgment on people. Simon the leper. He's in the home. You've got women who have no voice in society of that day. They are the powerless. And so surrounded by schemers and eventually betray, a betrayer, you've got this story of Jesus at a dinner party. Simon the leper's hosting it in Bethany. Bethany is like a spiritual retreat village for Jesus. He loves to go there because I think he knows he's loved there. And he goes to Bethany, the dinner is happening, and as people are, 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 are resting at the table, you've got this, this moment where, where Mary does this unprecedented thing. She, it, I call it one of those moments where she just couldn't help herself. She just couldn't, she, she, just, she was just blown away by, by who Jesus is, and she just had one of those moments where just love just sort of gushed out of her, and she went and she got this, this perfume bottle, it's got this, it's called Essence of Nard. Nard would have been a, a fragrance that probably would have come from India, uh, and it would have been a very expensive perfume. It's in an alabaster jar. Um, most scholars think that it, it probably, uh, gifts like this, it was common that a mother would give a gift like this to her daughter as a gift of inheritance. And, um, and it, what it would be done is it, it could be passed on to the next generation or it could be sold, and in, in your twilight years, it could help um, sort of provide income. Uh, during, during the years, you couldn't work manually. And so that this, is a, this is a very precious thing to, to Mary. Not only is it, is it worth a lot of money, it has tremendous sentimental value if it was given to her by mom. But we know in this, in this case that it's ex, exceedingly uh, extravagant because when people start getting upset by the spiritual PDA that's happened in the room, uh, Judas, we, we know from John's account as well from Matthew's account, he describes this gift as being worth a year's wages. I, I want you to feel the tension of this for a moment. CNN Money Magazine last year said the medium income in the U.S. was $51,000, dollars $51, That was the medium income. Some of you are going, how do I get a piece of that? Um, but that, that was the medium income. Now, one account says it was a little bit, little bit more than a year's income. So let's just go three months. A year and three months, this is what Mary's gift would have financially what it would be represented today uh, as. So think about this for a moment. At a dinner party, someone brings in a gift that is worth nearly $64,000 and drops it, spends it in a, just in a second. It's poured out. And, and just feel like, I mean, if someone were to just blow sixty-four grand, I mean, think, think about this for a moment. You know how many meals that would be at UGM? Do you know how many meals you could provide for folks at, at, at Gospel Mission? Do, do you know, like uh, with, with Salem Free Clinics, how many patients we could help with $64,000? Do you have any idea how, many, how, how much furniture, furniture could be provided? How many beds could be provided for people in our, in our city who are in difficult circumstances, don't even have a bed to sleep on through that storage unit ministry? How many beds that could purchase? I mean, just do the math and start thinking about how much good 
could come from $64,000. And if you can feel the tension a little bit, then you're, then you're beginning to understand how others, as they're watching this happen, begin to feel uncomfortable and uneasy with what is taking place. And it sort of stair steps its way out. We learn by putting all three accounts together, just walk us through this scene, because the very first thing is that people, in, inwardly, they begin complaining. Inwardly, they, they see what's going on, and they have an opinion about what is happening. The spiritual PDA, this public display of affection, is causing an internal response in people. And then the second thing what happens when you put these three stories together is they complain about what happened to each other. So Mary is there anointing the head of Jesus, and this, this aroma is covering Jesus and filling the house, mind you. And, uh, and now the disciples are in this conversation with each other, and they're complaining. Um, it, it appears that Judas is leading the way. John tells us that one of the reasons why Judas is upset is because he was like the church treasurer, and he was helping himself to the, to the, to the counts. Um, so he says he sees $64,000 being blown, and he's upset because this was a huge payday for him. But they're complaining to each other. The next thing that happens when you put these stories together is uh, they say how things should happen. Look, here's, Mary is fantastic that you gave this gift, but you know, you totally blew it. You did it in the wrong way. This is really wrong. You know, there's all these poor people around us. We could have, we could have provided for so many poor people and what you did was wrong. This is how it should have been used. Mind you that it wasn't their expensive perfume. It was Mary's, but they're going to tell her how to use it. And then lastly, they, uh, they attack the worshiper. They scold her, and they don't just say, that was stupid. They scold her harshly. I mean, they, they attack her. They, they go after her. And um, so much so that Jesus responds to their, their harsh scolding as they're evaluating. I mean, here's the thing that's interesting. They're looking at Mary and they're seeing Mary's heart revealed and they're seeing this extravagant devotion. And little do they know that as they're doing the complaining and as they're doing the attacking, their hearts are being revealed. So both hearts, we get hearts on both sides that are being revealed here. Jesus steps in and says, leave her alone. Leave, leave her alone. Don't you understand what's going on here? she's anointing my body for burial. I don't think Mary put two and two together and knew that Jesus was going to be executed and put into a tomb. Uh, I think that caught her by surprise. But I think the Spirit of God moved in her such, in such a way, her heart was already full of such devotion for Christ, that in that moment the Spirit of God moved in such a way she just couldn't help herself. And Jesus says, she's anointing my body for burial. And by the way, wherever this story is told, her story will be remembered and discussed. And here we are, remembering and discussing it. Now, let me, let me just transition a little bit here. I'm gonna put a quote by Oswald Chambers up on the screen. Oswald Chambers says, talking about love. If human love does not carry a man, and he's talking, this is both men and, men and women. If human love does not carry a man beyond himself, it is not love. If love is always discreet, always wise, always sensible and calculating, never carried beyond itself, it is not love at all. It may be affection, it may be warmth of feeling, but it has not the true nature of love in it. 
Have I ever been carried away to do something for God, not because it was my duty, nor because it was useful, nor because there was anything in it at all beyond the fact that I love him? I want you to hear what Chambers is is putting his finger on here. There's something within us when it comes to affection in human relationships and in, in, and in our spiritual relationship that wants to be discreet and sensible and, you know, hey, let's just not get too crazy. And, and, and what, what Chambers is saying, if, especially in your human relationships, if you never have these moments, if, if, you, if you have someone you love, maybe it's a son or a daughter, maybe you're married, maybe it's a brother or sister, mom or, mom or dad, if you don't have a moment where you just can't help yourself, then what he's saying is not love. It may be warmth of feeling, it may be affection, but it's not love. Because true love has these crossroads where you, I just can't help it. It's not an everyday routine. Mary, I don't think Mary's like every day pulling something out of the closet and, and pouring it on Jesus. I think it's these moments that just surface every now and then that you're just overwhelmed. And what Chambers is saying here is that if you don't have a moment where you just can't help yourself... You need to ask yourself the question, is this duty or devotion? Am I in love or do I just kind of like? And he's really tapping on something. And I think oftentimes when it comes to public displays of affection spiritually, one of the things we say is we, in our, maybe we don't say this out loud, but one of the things we think in our minds is we just want to be balanced. I just want to be balanced. Friends, do you know the balance between hot and cold? Do you know what it is? It's called lukewarm. And some things we, we want to be balanced on. Other things we want to be way off balance. I actually prefer the word ballast. A centering that you can be all the way over here and there's a centering weight. You ever seen those sailboats? They're saying, in fact, they can go in the water to pop out the other side because they're centered. There's some times in life when you need to be way off balance. You need to be centered. But balance is not the goal. And when it comes to our love for Jesus, I don't think Jesus' goal for us is measured, sensible love. I think there's moments when we just can't help ourselves. I'm not talking about running laps in church, okay? I'm just talking about in how God's created you. How are these moments surfacing? Let me just just ask a couple questions here. First one is, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? Is is it Mary, who certainly full of devotion and love? See, I, I think Mary loves Jesus. There's no question there. I think Judas loves the idea of Jesus. And when... Jesus doesn't measure up to his expectations. He's gone. That's why I think this is the final straw for him. So the question, who am I becoming? And yes, Mary's story is told, remembered, and discussed wherever the gospel is preached. But you know who else's story is remembered and discussed wherever the gospel is preached? Judas. It's the question, who am I becoming? And I don't think it's an either or thing. I think, I'll speak for myself. I think Judas and Mary live here and there's a fine line between the two. 
I think there's moments of devotion. I think there's moments where it's really easy to fall into those traps of, of criticizing and judging. And the question I would just say to you, is, is your relationship with Christ such a relationship that you find yourself in these, these moments? It doesn't like, it's not like it happens all the time, but these moments where you just can't help yourself. And the stories of people in my life who I know loved Jesus, I can see their faces, I know their names, their stories are remembered and discussed in my own life. Who are you becoming? Who are we becoming? Mary or is it Judas? And the, and the second question I would just ask is simply this. What does going public with my love for Jesus look like? Again, for some of us, we're highly extroverted. So it's really easy to go public, and it can look a certain way. But, but what if you're pretty private and you're introverted? I, what does pub, going public look like for you? What, what is it, what's, a, what's spiritual display of affection to Jesus look like? Because the reality is, is our activity must flow from a heart of devotion. What we do flows from a passion for Jesus. And if it doesn't, we can expect, just like Jesus did to the church in Ephesus, wrote them a letter and said, look, you're doing great things. You got a free clinic, you got, you're teaching people English, you're delivering wood to folks, you're delivering sandwiches and, and lunches to, to the homeless, and you're teaching Sunday school, you're in a Bible study, you're leading a Bible study, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're doing so much good, but this one thing I hold against you, you've left your first love. Friends, are you in, are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with the idea of Jesus. And Jesus' invitation is come back to me so that what flows, the activity that flows, it's a ministry happens out of the overflow. And he invites us into that friendship. He invites us to be overwhelmed with his love. And maybe for you today, it's simply saying, God, I, I, just, I just need my heart transformed. I need to do a work in my heart today. Would you quicken my heart? Because maybe you're here today and you sense that it's just been in, been in a dry spell. Do you know how much Jesus loves to hear a prayer? Lord, would you just, I need your help. I want to love you like you want to be loved. He loves to answer those prayers. He loves it when his children go public. I love it as a dad when my kids go public with their love for me. Just think about his heart when we go public with our love for him. Let's pray together. So Lord, today, we just look at this short story in brief fashion. We're challenged by Mary's act of devotion. Thank you that her story is here that we get to remember and discuss it. Now, if there's any burden or weight of guilt or shame that somehow has been put on us because of that, Lord, would you just take it away right now in the name of Jesus? Would you do a work of the Spirit in us and transform our hearts? Lord, maybe fall in love with you all over again. Draw near to us as we take our baby steps towards you. Do a work of healing. 
Nothing in our past disqualifies us from experiencing this deep love you have for us. So Lord, if there's anyone who's saying, yeah, but, will you just remove the things, the lies, the enemy would speak to us to say that we can only come so close. You are a great lover. Now, may we, your church, love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Praise in your name. Amen.